You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, brought to you by the MND Association. Alongside members of the MND community, we bring stories, information, and expertise direct to your ears. Remember to subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. I'm Beck, and I'm an area support coordinator at the MND Association, and I'm delighted to introduce today's guests who in this episode will be chatting to you about the next generation think tank and how collaboration within technology can make a difference for people living with or affected by MND. So say hello to you, Nick, Stuart, Diana, Mike, and his partner, Mary. Nick's the Director of Care and Improvement at the MND Association, and he's joining us with Stuart Moss, who's the Head of IT Innovation at Rolls-Royce. Together, they've established the Next Generation Think Tank and are here to share some of the incredible tech for good innovations coming out of that collaborative work. Diana and Mike are here and they're both living with MND and are going to tell us about how they've helped to shape the exciting new project coming out of the Think Tank called I Will Always Be Me, the book that thanks your voice. Mike's partner Mary also joins us and she's going to share how the storybook has made a difference to their family. Throughout this episode, we mention a book, and by that we mean an ebook called I Will Always Be Me. It has been beautifully written by an award-winning author and illustrated to help explain to loved ones what MND is and what's changing around them. The person with MND reads it aloud, and as they do it, it records their voice, ready to be used in the future with a communication device. So more on that as we delve into the episode of the podcast. So Stuart, if we could come to you first, uh, could you tell us about how you became involved with the MND Association and uh, your story really in terms of uh, MND and your experience of it? Yeah, um, so my father had motor neuron disease. When he was diagnosed, we didn't even know really what the heck it was. Um, We had no concept uh, of it. I suppose the thing that we were were told at the time was that um, you know uh, Stephen Hawkins. That, that was the the kind of uh, as much as we knew. He um, he passed away on Christmas Day on 2014. From that point on, uh, you know, I, I kind of I, I work in innovation for Rolls Royce, and um, we try to solve complicated problems. I can remember actually saying to him on the on the day when we found out that he was diagnosed, um, I'm sure there's some innovation that can help this dad. We just probably don't know what it is yet. Quite a lot of time passed. Uh, after the after 2014, about five years later, I was given the opportunity at work to lead a what we'd call an outreach program. So you know, a community investment type of program for uh, the company. And uh, being as I was lucky lucky enough to get the finger pointed at me and be put in charge of it, I said, I think we should do something around motor neuron disease. My particular outlook on the world, if you like, the way, the best way to do. Uh, innovation is to collaborate with others so work with other people who don't have the, a blessed idea about the thing that they're trying to solve because they're the people who will probably come up with a new and novel approach that in, in this instance naivety is a superpower you know be, being kind of a, uh, from the medical uh, community might in the instance of a medical problem not be the best position to be in to try and solve it. At that point, um, when I was given this opportunity, I said we should do something around motor neuron disease. There was a campaign running at that time from the Motor Neuron Disease Association that I have to admit, I didn't necessarily read all of the things that came from the MND Association in the newsletters every month, but I'd read this one and it was about um, 
making sure that people retained their voice. Mm. And so I picked up the phone and I tried to get hold of the guy who actually posted that who was credited in the uh, newsletter of uh, putting it out. And um, well, unfortunately, or somewhat now in retrospect, fortunately, he wasn't in that day. He, he, he was um, out of the office. And Nick Goldup picked up the phone and I said to him about this crazy idea, which was, um, what do you think about Rolls-Royce, who are uh, an aerospace company, working with some other IT companies uh, as a, a sort of a combined effort to try and help people with most UNCs? I haven't got a clue what we're going to do yet, <laughs> but what do you think to, to that as an idea? And I'll let him speak for himself, but it, it, you could probably guess the, you know, spoiler, that he obviously said yes, <laughs> or we wouldn't be here today. I, I didn't need to be asked twice, put it that way, Stuart. I thought it was an amazing opportunity. <laughs> In most big corporations now, and I, uh, when you're dealing with IT, which is a part of Rolls-Royce that I work in, a lot of that is outsourced now. So you'll have your big companies like Microsoft and, in, in this instance, Dell and Intel, who will, in Dell's uh, case, you know, they provide the laptops for Rolls-Royce, right? But it's not all necessarily Rolls-Royce people that are doing it. We work with these partner companies to, to provide IT to our employees. And so it seemed like a good idea to say, if this is going to be our, our IT functions outreach program, why don't we do it with everybody, even those other companies? And so we held a uh, an event in Derby to, in my office at, uh, at one of our main sites. And we invited all of those IT companies to take part. And and Nick and Nick and I effectively stood at the front of the room and told them the idea about how how about if we all collaborate on um, trying to improve technology for people with motor neuron disease. And um, they all, I dare say, Nick, much to our surprise, they all said yes, didn't they? they we actually have a photo somewhere of them all with their hands in the air saying we want to take part in it. And so we've been doing various things for the last, uh, what, three years now, even across COVID, we've been working on various different uh, activities with that group. It, it's just, shall I jump in, it's just been unbelievable. I mean, the day that I picked up the telephone, Stuart was on the other end asking me whether I wanted to be involved. I mean, that was one of those moments in time that just sort of put us off in a different direction. And I suppose from my perspective, I'd had some experience through my previous career in in um, working in in technology and um, you know could see the real benefit of, of looking at things in from a different perspective commercially as well as you know it, it, in inventing new innovative innovative ideas so yeah to be able to have that opportunity to be up in Derby at the innovation center there with the likes of Intel and Dell and Microsoft and Google and all of these huge names in front of us it was an opportunity not to be missed to really shout about MND and to tell them you know this this is this is it this is this is what we need to do and quite honestly you know a lot of the big tech companies have big you know corporate social social responsibility reasons for for putting their technology into the hands of people to change lives and so it was it was a match made in heaven really <laughs> and nick can you tell us a little bit more then about one of the projects that's come out of the think tank the the storybook yeah, if, if it's OK, can I just start a little bit further back, which is sort of a bit further on from the, the journey, which is, you know, we got we got everybody in the same room. But what were, what were the exam questions that we were going to answer? What, what were we going to really kind of hang our hat on as, a, as an exam question to, to answer to change lives? 
And we could have gone down the route of looking at mobility. We could have looked at artificial intelligence. We could have looked at um, speech and communication. We could, I mean, the, the opportunities are endless, really, around how technology can support people. And we thought, you know what? Speech is something that is so important. And when you look at speech, it's just such a powerful medium of identity. It's, it tells everybody about who you are, where you're from, your mood, your humour. Your, you know, when people lose the opportunity to use uh, their voice, up to 90% of people living with MND eventually rely on some sort of communication aid. You know, it's really, really important to bank your voice, but also to think about how we can allow people to talk for longer. And so we, uh, one of the projects we worked on was um, we worked with Google to try and help them and support them on Google Assistant, which is, uh, it's a virtual assistant that people use to interact with their kit at home, you know, smart TV, smart devices, gadgets, and I think there's over a billion devices. So what, what if we could use uh, the lived experience of, of MND to work with Google to improve that so that it, it works better for people with dysarthria? Uh, and that's something that we've we've been doing over the last year, year and a half. But Rolls-Royce said, look, what if we could come up with a piece of artificial intelligence that listens into people's conversations so that people can try to uh, communicate at a speed closer to natural conversation when they're unable to speak? And that's something I'm really interested in, and that's perhaps something we'll talk about around future projects. But also then thirdly, voice banking. And how do we improve process of voice banking how can we make it so much easier simpler and create an experience and and i guess that's what that's the challenge we set ourselves you know how can we get the, a great uh, end product of an amazing voice in a, in a much easier way than was was able at, at the time the turn things on its head approach that we used so today you know if you um you know you talk about diagnosis of motor neuron disease it's a horrifying prospect right and we said, well, how about if that became, um, you know, and, I, and I'm kind of a, aware of the people we're speaking to today, right? But how about if we could turn that on its head? How about if it could be you now qualify for things that you wouldn't have qualified for in the past? We, we talked about things like, I mean, it, it's it's science fiction stuff, but what about the Iron Man suit? You know, you're now qualified to have a suit that makes you super strong, makes you able to fly funnier, you know, more intelligent, that sort of stuff. What about if that's what you were given on the day? So it's yes, the future is going to be different, but different in in a in a sort of more magical way, right? So we we started looking at things from a different point of view because it's a different a bunch of people who are looking at the problem. It took our naivety, if you like, as a group of technology companies to see this thing differently. All, all the big uh, innovations in life actually came from the naive. You know, penicillin, nobody set out to find penicillin. It was accident. You know, it, it, it's that sort of mentality that not to not to alienate any of the professionals out there, but sometimes you can stand so close to the woods, you can't see the trees, right? We just try to provide an environment with this think tank to think about things differently. Now where we've got to with this particular project is somewhere that we never expected to be at because um, it had never been done before, right? <laughs> mm. So we said, you know, we want people with MND to be, and affected by MND to be part of these projects. It has to impact people and people need to be part of the testing. That's so important. We can't just concentrate on one on one piece of uh, one gadget that supports, you know, t 10 people. That's not that's not what we're here to do. Also, we need to make sure it's accessible. 
so we we put sort of an unwritten well it was a written rule in the end but you know we we, we need to make this available and when i say available i don't mean um just financially i mean you know in terms of accessibility so that people can use it you know th th those principles were really key when we set up the think tank mm. also at the time too well actually just before 2018 the MD association had a survey and that survey yes. showed yeah. yeah it showed that on average it was taking people three months to bank their voice and people were working on how we reduce this how do we get it down and my goal was to bring it down to you know an afternoon that wouldn't that be great wouldn't it be brilliant if we could we could save time for people and so again the stars aligned and we thought yeah let's we've got some kit we've got people in a room we know what we want to achieve, which is a much better experience for people. It's taking too long now and people don't have time. We don't want to be spending time reading the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane alone in their room. So yeah. what should we do? And there the project was born. That all sounds really exciting. And I wonder if we can bring in Mike here now. So, Mike, you're living with MND and you're here with your partner, Mary. And I don't know if you two want to talk about your experiences of, of voice banking and what this means. I wanted to say that I'm obviously voice banking and getting your voice as close to you as possible is very important because voice banking, I had, a, I had um, an experience of trying to bank my voice with an app on the internet. And when I we after saying all these different words, hundreds of them, when I we played the recording, we were supposed to be in my voice. I found like some Eastern European Caucasian something. No disrespect, but my voice supports a song like me because your voice. It's your identity. It um, tells people where you're from. Yeah. You have to get it right because when you try to talk or with one of your friends, they're supposed to say, hi, Mike. They're not supposed to say, who is this? You understand? And that's where the, 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 the book comes in. Because the book, the book, is what 99.9% me, my voice. Yeah. Even um, my my children identify. Oh, that's you. That that's your voice. Mm -hmm. I mean. So I'm of Afro Afro Caribbean, and your your voice is sound like where you're from. Yeah. Everybody needs to be included. Everybody needs to be included. So it's it's important that we get it right. Um, if you if you you mentioned Stephen Hawkins, we everybody accepted that that synthetic voice was Stephen Hawkins' voice, but he he kept it because it it came to be his identity. But I would, I would have liked to hear what he actually sounded like. Yeah, his true voice. And if you fast forward to the comedian, the lost voice man, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. His voice sounded like um, a very um, posh mm. type of voice. But just a couple of weeks ago, someone let someone one of his friends did a recording of his dialect, crazy Jordy. Yeah. Mm. And they blended and, it. And they blended it in and he said that's what his voice would have sounded like. Mm. So voice banking is very, very important. Uh Diana, I saw some nods of recognition really resonating with you around what Mike was saying there as well. Is that your experiences of voice banking as well? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, I remember 20 years ago working with uh, children uh, on a word processing application in schools um, and hearing that posh voice that Mike's just explained and it was called Microsoft Sam. And uh, there was one called Mary and there was one called Sam. And the children used to select the different voices. And there was a, a more computerized one. But they were, um, they did sound quite realistic, uh, a, a more human voice. And this was uh, possibly 20 years ago. And, um, you know, I can sympathize and understand what Mike was saying about banking voice. Banking the voice was just soul destroying. Uh, sitting there and Nick said, you know, it's up to three months. Well, it, it took me about two months and I just lost the will. I just felt, I'd, I thought I've said this sentence before. Why have I got to say it again? I completed 150 sentences I'd been told to do and then I expected like a, a gold medal at the end only to be told yes well done you're nearly there you've just got another 150 to do another two weeks later for my voice to come back and it didn't sound like my voice um I even played it to my uh the pupils that I tutor uh, I tutor online for the MND Association. I have a fundraising page and I played it to the children and they just laughed. They were like, that's not you. Um, and I, I tutor on an audio only platform so they don't see me, uh, they just hear me. So my voice is even more important that it's recognisable that it's me because they can't see that it's me. How do they know it's me that they're talking to? It's a bit like on the phone. Um, if they can't see that it's you on the phone, how do they know who it is? Yeah, so uh, I can totally understand what, you know, everyone else has said about voice banking. Um, to actually have a creative uh, side to banking my voice. Um, it was, uh, straightforward, not too techy, uh, even though I am a bit of a techie myself, uh, easy to use, and it was sociable. I sat there with my husband and banked my voice. It's just, just lovely. Yeah. The funny thing, one of the things that I can't really understand 
Or maybe you guys um sure could tell me. Why is it that when you make a phone call to someone, the person at the other end can recognize your voice instantly? Yeah? But then all these different voice banking types of um, whatever is so hard to do. You understand? Why does it sound different on different platforms if you try to bank your voice? But on the phone call, everybody knows that you on the other end. So if you think about it, Mike, I suppose the old way of doing it was you know, read all these sentences that didn't make any sense, right? And what would usually happen, the reason why people don't recognise you is, do you ever answer the phone in a really wooden way? Hello, it's Mike. You would never do that, right? And you'd read these sentences out, the old imagination for how you bank your voice was, read out red lorry, yellow lorry, read out, you know, the rain in Spain means, you know, falls on the plane and that sort of stuff. That's just not the way people talk. So when you use the book, and I, I dare say it's not scientifically proven, but when you use the book, there's much more emotion in this book, which I can tell you very openly, we as a group, when we were trying to figure this out, were petrified about because that's not the way that people do it today. What if it's wrong? What if there's too much emotion in your voice? What if we get too much of your, what feels like you out? That's exactly what we wanted to do, right? And then we find that, um, you know, as Diane said, when you get the recording back, it sounds a lot more like you. Well, maybe shouldn't come as a surprise because we don't talk in a wooden way, do we? So hopefully some of it is by this change of approach to it, um, you know, we've not necessarily redefined the science behind how you do it. What we've done is changed what we're capturing in the first place, and that makes it more like you. But you do have to give that bit of you for it to sound more like you, which is why people who've read the book do say it's quite an emotional experience, right? But you need that emotion to put emotion in the voice. If you don't have it in, you won't capture it. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think for us, in terms of the book, I could just see how the application of it could be so much more impactful, not just for yourself as a sufferer, but for your family. Um, because I feel as though the thing with MND that is um, different to most other illnesses is that it robs you of so much as an individual but it also robs you as a family of so much <clears throat> i remember one of the other participants in the video saying that her, when they received the diagnosis a piece of her died that day it was her husband who received the diagnosis but a piece of her died that day because actually you don't go through this illness by yourself if you're fortunate to have a family, everybody's going through it. Um, and what's so lovely about the book is that it's got such an appeal to the family. And I thought to myself, I could see how it could be utilized for both the benefit of the participant, like reading that book again and again and again, for example, the way that you would read sentences again and again and again, gives your voice more dimension actually this is something that you would want to read again and again so actually you would get humor from the way that you may read it in parts or if you're reading it to your grandchild and they decide to do a hands headstand in the middle of you reading you might laugh through some of the sentence but actually that could be quite useful for giving your voice more dimensions 
Um, but equally, you're broaching tough subjects um, with your nearest and dearest, and it facilitates that so beautifully. So it's got such a broad ap appeal, um, but does so many different aspects of what needs to be done that it's, it's really, it's beautiful. I, I think that's really true, actually. And, and it takes me back to when we were making the book and the project and some of the feedback that we had at the time which was it really helped people to say what they wanted to say but hadn't been able to find the way to say it it was really important that we got the story right and Jill Twist who's the author she was just fantastic in terms of taking that feedback and saying it in a different way and, and um, you know it couldn't it couldn't offend it couldn't be clinically incorrect it had to it had to tick so many boxes and so the words and the way that it's it's produced into this lovely book um, it was so important to get that right, and I think it, it, Alan in the in the video in the in the documentary film he also talks to it as as something that uh, his wife had been saying to him. You need to you need to write some things down in terms of a legacy, and you need to create um, something uh, that you know will will be everlasting. I think is the phrase he uses, and this really does allow that in a in such a nice way. So. Yeah, I just thank everybody that was involved in 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 that kind of production of the book, and and to to Mike and to Diana that for for your your involvement in that because it's it's the it's the best example I've seen in the association. I th I would say this wouldn't I, but of of co-design and working together with people that were here to support to get a, a really really good end product. I must admit that when I was reading the book, I had to I had to um. What is it? Um, stop myself from personal tears, so to speak. But um, it was the very ending that got me in the end <laughs> because but I was always laughing. That's the bit that okay, they've got me. Then. They've got me. So up to that point, I was done. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I'd just like to say as well, I think your approach, your turn it on its head approach is really useful because actually, personally, um, being on this journey with Mike, it's, really, it's a really challenging, I think Mike's daughter, who's a nurse, said it best. Um, she isn't, she's a nurse, she's dealt with people with all kinds of illnesses. Um, and she, when she heard the diagnosis, she retreated into herself and was thinking about, because she knew what it meant um, from a personal interaction, um, which none of the rest of us really did. We all had our own approach. Michael went off digging and finding videos and going down that rabbit hole of finding out as much as possible, but equally just it being really heavy on the con on on your head, um, I went through the process of completely ignoring it to a certain extent and just dealing with it day by day because I knew from personal experience previously I couldn't deal with going down any rabbit holes because it would just be too depressing. Um, whereas she knew what was coming and she retreated into herself, but she said it best in that from her perspective. It's one of the worst things that could ever happen or the worst thing that could happen, having that illness. But I love your approach because it's the first time that I've heard anything that gives me any hope because actually 
you you do want that feeling of being able to have access to things that you wouldn't have had access to before and actually from my perspective because I've cared for my nan and I've had um, interaction in the medical field for other things I don't know whether it's my nan's age or her particular diagnosis because it's quite well known um, it was easy for me to get the things that she needed so going into this with Michael I was like well this is a really bad diagnosis we're going to be able to get loads of stuff you know whatever you need you're going to be well taken care of it's not going to be it's going to be a strain yes to to look after and help you deal with things and we're going to have to deal with things in a different way but actually your your needs are going to be catered for and I've been really saddened and very frustrated by the fact that it really is the opposite I don't think I could have um, experienced anything that requires so much and is given so little but this is how it should be your approach of turning things on its head and being able to qualify for things that you wouldn't qualify for before um, should be how it is because this is the one thing that needs it this is the one illness where you are robbed from everything that you really need to be given everything or at least some things at the very least you know um so I, I love that and it's it's the first time that I felt hopeful so I'm really thankful because actually from what you've done with the book it really demonstrates um what you're going to be able to do Diana I saw some some real strong nods of agreement with what Mary was saying there for you as well totally Mary I, you know you just put it so precisely um things should come automatically when you're given that diagnosis of a terminal illness, you shouldn't then have to fight for a blue badge. You know, um, the, uh, you jump through hoops to get that blue badge um, and, and your, your PIP assessment, your DS1500, it's all hoop jumping. Now, why isn't it just given to you? Look, this has happened. This is your diagnosis. This is how we're going to deal with it. And everything is just one press of a button and it all just comes to you. You know, and the, having the book there is just nice because it's one less hurdle to do. I mean, I'm hoping that now when somebody's given that diagnosis, rather than the neurologist saying, uh, you know, we'll see you in three months' time. They give you something positive. They give you uh, some leaflet, or even better still, a link with everything on it. We don't want bits of paper. We press the link and it all just starts cascading. That would be so much more helpful. So I'd have to agree with uh, Diana um, you know, Mary, that, that my experience was exactly the same but with what, what happened with my father. That, you know, you, this is what you would want, but the, the real life experience isn't the same. So um, that's why in a warped way made sense to me that if the IT industry goes and does this, you don't need a diagnosis to go and bank your voice from the IT industry. You know, it's a bit like buying a memory stick. If you can buy a memory stick, right, you go into PC World and get one. As soon as we took this into an IT world, you know, to, to Diane's point, if you can get to the website now, in theory, 
it, you know, once you knew about it, you could go and do this self-service, which is a very different way. It's very empowering in a way that you could go and do this. If I went back to the time when, you know, back in 2014, this stuff was so far out of reach. It did exist then, but it was so far out of reach that, um, you know, it wasn't something that, that my dad could use. Um, to Mike's points about, um, you know, your character and stuff, I wanted to hear his voice. Right. I wanted to, him to be able to speak to me about stuff, because one of the things with the with the M&Ds, you, you spend a lot of time. Mary's already touched on this as well. You spend a lot of your time fighting stuff. And actually, I'm going to be purely selfish for a minute. For me, as his son, there's a load of things I wanted his opinion on because I held my dad's opinion as sacrosanct. You know, like he, he was the guiding light. He's my compass, if you like. And I want to know his opinion. And so a lot of the essence of I will always be me is because I, I set up a system for him where I could text him. Now, it'd take a long time for him with his eye tracker to type an answer. If I, during the day, was talking to him through text messages, because it's asymmetric, you know, like what I mean by that is if I send a text, I don't expect it to come back instantly, like in a conversation face to face. I expect you to answer. If you don't answer within a couple of seconds, it feels a bit icky and a bit sort of like socially awkward. If I send you a text and you don't respond for 10 minutes, it doesn't matter. But when I got the text back, which he laboured over for 10 minutes, it would have exactly what he wanted to say. And he's still there. You know, it's, it's still him. And that's what I wanted us to cherish in this book was, you know, don't see the illness, see the person. Right. And that's that's the bit that, you know, I'm really, really proud of this because of that point of view, because it's the very first beacon of that piece which is focusing on you the individual let's stop focusing on kind of the mnd bit let's, let's see how we can circumvent or go around or you know go over over and i'm not bothered right you know naivety again <laughs> however we get around it however we accommodate it whatever we can do let's try and do that but try and keep our eyes focused on the person that's there in front of us yeah from my perspective um this is really it's really interesting to hear and i'm really pleased to hear everybody's comments i think mary you talked about hope such a big part of of um what we try to achieve here and and improving quality of life for people using technology and making life just a bit easier um is is kind of at the heart of of our our new our new promises as the, as the association's um, strategy you know, and, and technology plays a big a big role in that and we've committed to it. So to hear that something like this, which is a project we've looked at in a different way and come up with a solution to something which is so much better than what the, what it was, I think it's great to hear. It's great to hear. And the next thing for me is not, you know, until until we find a cure, there's care and there's technology and there's quali better quality of life. And what we, it just cements in my mind that the route we've gone down with the association and the think tank and with everybody's involvement is, is the right one. <laughs> it's really exciting to hear all of this, you know, like what's on the horizon um, and how we got uh, to where we are with the storybook. And thank you so much for for Mike and Diana and Mary and all the families that were involved in in testing the the book and, and getting it out there and being part of the documentary and coming along to a thing like this, you know, the podcast and letting other people know that the process has been improved dramatically and it's tactile and a beautiful way of of, of banking your voice. So thank you so much. And thank you, Stuart and Nick, for, for driving that forward and the others as part of the, the think tank. It's I'm excited to see what's next.
Yeah, can I just say two really quick ones? Otherwise, I will regret not saying it. Voice banking is now so easy. Just get it done. I think that's the, you know, it's so it's such an easy thing to do now with the book. 20 minutes, 30 minutes of your time and, and that that is achieved. So I think it's really important to do that. And secondly, go to the website. I would always be me.com. You can access it through the MD Association website as well. Otherwise, go directly there and have a look. There's some lovely stuff. And if you want to see a wonderful cast of Hollywood superstars like Mike and Diana, um, they're all on the video. So do go and have a look. That's in the website as well. I just want, I just wanted to ask Diana, Diana quickly. Now, what what has helped you? Oh, what has helped me? Um, humour. Humour um, and carrying on with whatever I possibly can do. Um, not just sit there. Absolutely. Let's do something. That's the same mindset I've got. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> what a perfect place to, to wrap up this episode of the podcast. So thank you again, everybody, for joining us. And if anyone would like to access the storybook, then you can go to IWillAlwaysBeMe.com. It's completely free for anyone living with MND in the UK and it only takes 20 minutes to read the story aloud and bank your voice. Details on how to access it are included in the description of this episode. And as always, you can contact our MND Connect helpline for support if you've been affected by any of the discussions we've had today. Their number is 0808 802 6262. You've been listening to MND Matters a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at mndassociation.org. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808 802 6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.